the global fashion industry is huge. It is also hugely unique in the amount of waste it produces. Think about it. Each season of every year, new or recycled styles are introduced as quickly as they are taken off of the rack. But what happens with all of the old clothes? Forbes reported that almost $40 million worth of perfectly good merchandise was set alight by British luxury fashion house Burberry as a way of ensuring what Forbes referred to as product scarcity and brand exclusivity. A staple on the world's runways, Burberry had a major misstep this summer. Its annual report let slip that many unsold items were burned, more than $48 million worth, all to avoid them ending up severely marked down, thus weakening the brand. After a lot of pushback, Burberry CEO Marco Debetti stated modern luxury means being socially and environmentally responsible. As Marco isn't alone in being a representative of a brand that is starting to listen for when it comes to sustainability. In fact, in much the same way that certain styles and cuts and trims are trending, so is environmentally friendly fabric. Like t-shirts that don't necessarily contribute to wastage. Ethical purchasing. There's a market for sustainable fashion now, and the market is only getting more and more inventive. And where does sustainable fashion come from? Well, if not from animals, plants. For example, mushroom and pineapple leather has been utilised thoroughly in the fashion industry in Australia. For the environmentally conscious consumer, this is a viable purchasing option. Australia creates 2 million tonnes of animal leather, textiles and rubber waste per year. And leather does not grow from trees. It requires copious amounts of land for animals who are eventually slaughtered to graze, which contributes greatly to greenhouse gases. And animal hide requires 100 chemicals to turn into leather. But that's just the beginning of eco-fashion. What if the clothes hanging in our wardrobe went beyond just not contributing to waste? What if they could actually be responsible for tackling climate change head-on? What if they could even photosynthesize? In this episode of All Things Green, we consider how the fashion industry is looking to new and exciting plant materials to tailor, trim and parade down runways, all the while saving the environment one step at a time. My name is Dian Jen Lin. You can call me DJ. The voice you just heard is Dian Jen Lin, who is the co-founder of Post Carbon Lab, a startup in London which has actually created photosynthesis coating. For those of you who don't know what that means, which is fair enough, Dian Jen Lin, or DJ as she prefers, alongside her co-founder Hans Holstert, has created a kind of layer of living algae on garments, which is able to actually absorb carbon dioxide from its environment, as well as emit oxygen itself. In an interview for The Guardian, DJ stated that one large t-shirt, so about a square metre of fabric, is able to generate as much oxygen as a six-year-old oak tree. DJ sat down with us to discuss all things green. We started Post Carbon Lab as a transdisciplinary design research studio focusing on sustainability and dignity. 
And before we started um, working on the project for microbial treatments for textile applications, we have worked on several other projects that revolves around the ethos of sustainability and dignity. Um, such as we work with the UNHCR to provide um, services for Syrian refugees. And we also worked with ADO New York to investigate uh, sustainability communication through the medium of um, plastic bottles, uh, graphic designs. And um, since the microbial treatment project has um, grown more interest through the past years, so we started to um, put more resource and energy into this for the moment. Mm -hmm. And in terms of our backgrounds, so I came from a fashion costume design background. Mm, and I have a very mixed um, career in the design industry. Ranges from, you know, um, graphic, filmmaking, or um, also like fashion and costume, and then uh, material, metalwork, photography, as well as like temporary, contemporary art curation. So um, that's my background. And then Hannes comes from um, an architectural background as well as um, mechanical and technical engineering. Um, we both got involved with more science-related um, projects when we started collaboration with the Natural History Museum and as well as the Wach Society, which is also a um, DIY bio and biohacking um, institute based in Amsterdam. And there, further on, we got involved with more um, science or DIY bio um, institutions or organizations. So that's when the discipline starts merging and we start um, creating things for um, things that, for projects that aligns with our ethos of sustainability and dignity. And in terms of how our photosynthesis coating works, it really is quite simple. So we work with microorganisms that are photosynthetic and uh, instead of using genetic modification to you know, change these organisms to suit our own means, we work with locally sourced microorganisms and um, we work with nature in terms of their biorhythms and um, we just um, allow textiles to integrate with them with these microorganisms and they have already embedded um, 3.5 billion years of evolutionary wisdom in them so we work with what's around us and there's really not much rocket science to it <laughs> There's something DJ says in her conversation with us that really sticks out for me, and it's her use of the word dignity, as well as wisdom. At the heart of her work is not just a love of plants, but a deep respect for what they know. Plants have a knowledge that a lot of modern society is unable or rather unwilling to see, which is how the degradation of the natural world started happening in the first place. What DJ is doing is trusting her and our natural environment and letting it communicate in all of the ways it was designed to. So how, in terms of how it adjusts our relationship to our clothing, 
Oh yes, um, so I think you're talking about object-oriented ontology here, where through what we're doing, meaning we are trying to facilitate a more care and mindful um, relationship with um, objects as well as clothing around us. You know, propelled by the fast fashion industry, we are very prone to the type of use, wear ones, and, you know, sometimes maybe return and even just, like, bin it or, you know, after you've worn it once or if you've um, posted this garment on Instagram and it's already irrelevant to you. We kind of want people to slow down and take a step back and think about... You know, those questions that has never been asked, say, what is the ec ecological role of the garment that you're wearing right now? Or what is the sort of life cycle and what is the journey that they've been through to be able to, uh, for you to hold it in your hand for the moment? It has been, um, you know, the, the garment production in the fashion industry is a very traditional industry. So it still involves a lot of labor, a lot of um, workers who are not paid fairly. And even if they're paid, say, fairly, fairly due to government, um, local government um, legislation, they're not actually living so they're not livable potentially. So the difference is kind of like, say in London, we have minimum wage and living wage. And actually say minimum wage, it's something like um, you, after you pay for your rent and you buy the food, you don't have anything left anymore. And what this really means is that on top of the cheap garments that we are able to buy in high street shops, they do have a cost that's not really listed on the price tag, which is the well-being and the life of real people struggling in developing countries. And yet, if you were to think about the hardship, the hardship of these people that have to go through to this piece of clothing that you're holding and wearing in your hand, and do you think, you know, just dispose of it after wearing one use would be justified? We're talking about real people's lives here. People actually put in blood and sweat to make whatever you're wearing right now, to make it so affordable that you can buy it at, I don't know, one pound, two pound, or, you know, um, your Australian dollars as cheap as possible. And this is part of the exploitation structure within the current fashion industry. I'm not saying that, you know, we should um, let these people in the bed, in the bed paying uh, sweatshops lose their jobs. Because with COVID-19 pandemic, I think people have grown to be quite desperate in terms of these times, you know, without orders and without food and without money and everything. But if you had the luck, you're fortunate enough to be on the developed country side to be able to buy, say, really, really cheap clothing, at least wear it with gratitude. This blood and sweat, or rather, the exploitation structure that DJ is referring to, is a system that Melbourne-based activist Emma Hakansen is particularly devoted to challenging. In her activism, she encourages individuals to pursue a lifestyle that is more respectful 
to the natural world, as well as to the animals that occupy this earth as well. We spoke to her about her sentiments regarding the fast fashion industry from an Australian perspective. Um, so I'm Emma. I work mostly in the animal rights world, creating advocacy campaigns, writing articles. I also run Willow Creative Co, which we produce content for ethical fashion labels. Um, and we also consult and help labels to become more ethical, which for us is mostly about moving away from animal materials to more sustainable materials that don't involve the slaughter of animals. Um, I guess I got into fashion just through modelling and then as my personal ethics evolved, my work did as well. When there are faux versions of things, so, you know, uh, faux meat, faux leather, people are reminded that they don't necessarily need the bloodshed or the intense environmental footprint in order to wear or eat what they like. Um, but mm. I know that, like, uh, faux alternatives are quite contentious even amongst mm. sort of, you know, eco spaces and vegan spaces especially. Um, yes. We'll start with the first part of the question. So how important do you think these alternatives are? I think they're really important. Like people are, as a species, we're driven by a lot of convenience and tradition. Like, so if there is something that we can eat that is pretty much the same as what we ate before or if there is something we can wear that is pretty much the same, but there's no cruelty involved or it's more sustainable, more people are going to make that switch than if we're saying you can't wear leather shoes anymore. Instead, you have to wear canvas hemp shoes. Mm. Like a lot of people will just be like, well, I don't want to do that trade. Yeah. So it's definitely beneficial. End of discussion there, whereas this adds another dimension of, of like, you know, you can have your cake and eat it too. Yeah, and so it also sort of... I think points out people's willingness to stand with violence against animals because it's like this is the same product so your willingness to not go to this one is quite telling. Mm, Absolutely. We're trying to allow that care practice part and embed that element, the ecological element as well as the caring element inside our treatments and that means clothes that has undergone our treatment you know we also are open to using say like secondhand clothing or like dead stock or samples that are outdated or even from individuals who just had some you know forgotten pieces of textiles or garments that they don't want to wear anymore we work with these type of uh, textiles or garments and then we basically upgraded and then we make them photosynthetic. So at least it serves another ecological purpose. You know, even if it's not for you to wear or even if um, you don't really like this garment anyway, you can at least hang it in your uh, space so that it stays, you know, it creates oxygen when uh, neutralizing your carbon footprint. We're just providing this one extra option in terms of embedding the ecological purpose within the garment you're wearing and you have. And I think another um, concept that we have to at least try to reflect is our obsession for convenience. Because um, we live, we tend to be spoiled by sort of designers around us that has um, come up with really 
linear and very um, intuitive and very um, very simple to use user interfaces and experiences where we tend to, if we get frustrated, we tend to give up very fast. So the, so for say pieces that has undergone our photosynthesis coating, it has the element of care that you have to take care of it, similar to an air plant. So you do have to keep some air moisture around it. You do have to be mindful of some light, domestic light or LED light around it so that it can absorb that light energy to convert carbon dioxide. And we thought, ah, yes, people are going to say, yeah, this is inconvenient or yeah, we don't like the kind of um, the extra work we have to put into. But we thought, you know, we want to reverse engineer that kind of mentality by saying, you know, if you don't take care of it properly, this garment can die. I mean, it's not going to end up screaming um, in your living room uh, late at midnight or something drastic is going to happen. No, nothing like that. But it's just would try its way, its silent way to tell you um, that something's going wrong, say just by a color change or by, um, you know, the, the appearance might look different. The, the smell maybe can be a little bit different. It tries its very uh, tiny way to tell you that and communicate with you that it does need your love and attention. DJ brings up a point that is oft forgotten in a consumerist society. Sometimes the things we purchase require a kind of reciprocal relationship, especially if they are living things. But by rebranding inconvenience as love, rather, we can reap the rewards of what it means to be co-collaborators in a space, of what it means to share a space with a living thing that doesn't necessarily bark or scream, a thing like a plant or a small contribution to climate change. Thank you so much for listening to the sixth episode of All Things Green, a conversation series brought to you by the Plant Society that shines a light on the people, places and politics behind the plants. I'm Madison Griffiths, and in every episode, we will be exploring our cultural relationship to the plants we know, love, and care for. I'd like to thank the rest of my wonderful team in-house, interstate, and in print. During this time, everyone is doing their best. It has been a pleasure to see that spirit continuing on. And if you have any suggestions or topics or queries that you'd like us to tackle in all things green, drop us a line on our socials. And thanks also to DJ and Emma for their contributions in this episode. Until next time.